Welcome to the Data for Betterment podcast, Reimagine Hybrid Work, with your host, Maribel Lopez. Maribel is the founder of the Data for Betterment Foundation and Lopez Research. The Data for Betterment Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps individuals understand and prepare for how their career will change as companies embrace new technologies. Lopez Research, a market research and strategy consulting firm, helps companies understand how technologies such as connected devices, collaboration, cloud computing, and AI change the customer and employee experience. The firm's clients range from startups to global corporations, including 10 of the Fortune 30. She's also the author of the highly regarded business book on how those technologies are transforming the company, employee, and customer experience, Right Time Experiences, published by Wiley. She's also a frequent public speaker at corporate events and contributor at Forbes.com. Maribel is currently researching and writing her next book on how to build successful strategies for workplace transformation. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez, and I am thrilled to be joined here today with Eric Hutto. He is the president and COO of Unisys. Eric, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Maribel. I'm glad to be here, and I am looking forward to the conversation. It is quite the topic today. So you were named president and COO in the heart of a global shutdown, and I'm sure that with the size of a company called Unisys and what you've been doing, there's been a lot of change. Maybe to give the audience some context, you can tell us a little bit about what Unisys is, what they do, and how things have changed from when you took over. Great. Well, as you mentioned, Unisys is a global IT company. We really focus on providing outcomes, business outcomes for governments and businesses around the world. We have all the core services you would expect, infrastructure, cloud, application, security, et cetera. But really, we work on solving business problems. And we utilize technology to do that in the most efficient, effective way, keeping all in mind at the end of the day, people use technology. So it's still at the heart of how we think about delivering that outcome. It does affect people. People have to be uh, impacted. As far as the pandemic, wow, <laughs> you're right. I literally took over the role of uh, president COO in March of 2020. And I think the first three things I did was shut the company down in the second week of March. <laughs> I sent everybody home that we could, except for a few delivery centers, obviously, because we deliver services like service desk. Our field engineers were our frontline workers. They never shut down. But I got everybody out of offices and as many people out of delivery centers as I could. The second thing I did was I had to decide how we we're going to handle the people because there was going to be an impact. And so I was really proud of how our SLT approached it. We took a much more compassionate, thoughtful way of helping manage the company's expenses. We knew revenue would fall off. We knew companies, clients wouldn't be spending. We knew all that. But we also knew that this would eventually end or it would normalize. And therefore, the company had to be in a position to rebound and reignite itself. So you just can't dump your talent. You just can't unload it all for just a quarter or so. We really had to stop and think about all the governments around the world. What were they going to do? How were they going to subsidize their citizens? And we just kind of managed our way through that. So, you know, we kept a lot of people employed. We had very little attrition. We managed other expenses in order to keep ourselves in a position to begin to rebound when this thing kind of settled out. And it did. Two things jumped out right away. We are highly complex. <laughs> our ability to operate our company in a Zoom Teams, Cisco, WebEx world 
wasn't going to work. We found ourselves with 70, 80 people joining a call because of all the various functions or departments that had to be involved to get a decision made. And so it really made us pause and think about the structure. And it also made us pause and think about our strategy. So as we go forward, are we in markets and are we offering things that can serve a touchless world? Because we thought, you know, that may be where all this ends ultimately. So we brought in outside consultants like McKinsey and Alex Partners that really help us breathe for a moment. I call it the off season. It's mm-hmm. the only off season I've ever had in corporate America where I get to take a break and train better because people weren't buying. Business was soft. We still had to run services. We have hospitals we support. Those people still needed to have their equipment running. And so it really gave us a chance to pause and rethink it in that structure, complexity, that matrixed organization that we are all so proud of, that we build, right? <laughs> and, and we do case studies on. We had to tear it down. So we really reorganized ourselves into businesses. We took down functions. We put teams together. We got rid of spans and layers is our thinking. And we got into teams and teams accomplished things. And it gave us speed and flexibility. By the way, it took down the number of people that had to be involved in a call just to get things moving. I think this, how do you navigate both a time zone when you're a global organization? And then, as you mentioned, the number of people that want to feel like they're involved. Mm -hmm. I think that's been one of the really interesting things. Like, how do we keep people connected, but the right people connected so that we can minimize fatigue? And I know in our last conversation, we talked a lot about people. I think people are so important. And you actually... We're talking a little bit about how we're creating processes, but maybe we're not quite connecting them to the people and what the people need. Can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. I think obviously corporations have to make decisions that guide the company and and help it achieve its objectives. But I've always believed that the strength of any company is its people. Our greatest asset will always be people. Yeah, AI is out there and we all talk about these technologies, but people still make decisions and people still want to do business with people. So when we think about the impact One of the things that I started doing, it was long hours, was instead of having these big town halls, talk to like Asia, Pacific as a region, I wanted to talk to China. I wanted to talk to India. I wanted to talk to, one, it was culturally aligning. So people are more comfortable sometimes speaking up if they're inside their culture. And I call them small groups. (laughs) It's 30 people at a time. It's 70 people at a time, but no bigger because people will then engage. And that's where we got them involved. And that's where they started speaking up. What you saw was on Zoom, you'd see that somebody in China who lived by themselves in a small apartment and they have no family. That level of stress from the pandemic and impact on that associate is far greater than if you live with a family of five, right? Or you're married, Mm. you have children, you have this entity around you. These people, we, we have a lot of people who don't have that. And their work was their family. It was their kind of safety, if you will, socialness. And we took it all away with the pandemic. And so I think you had to look at everybody individually and we had to start connecting. So we asked people who know those people, because I don't know the people in China who are single, but people in China do. And so they started doing weekly check-ins, just calling them on the phone. How you doing? How you feeling? Giving them 30 minutes of conversation. All of those things we had to do to keep the individual safe and sound. And it also gave us insights into how we were going to have to emerge out of this in a workforce policy, if you will, and, and things to consider. But we start with the individual because we're all unique. My situation is some people think, you know, if you're higher up in a company, your situation is, well, it's better. And it's not. We had online schooling challenges. I was sending out messages every month to the company. Balance is essential was always the header. And let's talk online schooling or let's talk mental health. That was the one I just kind of got through talking about because our 12-year-old is going through that. 
So it's real and it doesn't care where you sit in the world. And I think that's why the individualness of it is important. I absolutely agree. The individualness. One of the things I think we've spoken a lot about in the past few months is culture as well. So you've got the people and then we're talking about how people create culture and how does culture change as a result of a distributed workforce. I mean, you mentioned that you got a little bit of a break to think a little bit and do some training and other things, but are you thinking about creating culture differently now that you know you're going to be in a distributed environment and some people might be working at home and some people might not? I think we have to be open that our culture will change. I think it would be, just my opinion, a mistake to try to hang on to the culture you had pre-pandemic because it can't. And if you do, then you will definitely not achieve parity because you will hang on to policies and frameworks and things that, and behaviors, if you will, that will prevent parity because you're, you're so focused on the culture. I think a culture will evolve. I don't think it has to be lessened. I think it can be different. I think it can be just as effective, but you have to foster it. There's some subtle little things that technology can't solve, like just common etiquette and courtesy on a call. Like if you're in a hybrid environment, you need to get to the practice of every 10 minutes pausing so that the remote people can participate. Otherwise, you don't find them, right? They get run over. And the other thing is just no side conversations after the call. Think about when you end the call, the people in the office, somebody has a great idea. They share it with everybody in the office, but the call's over and the remote team didn't hear it. So they're disadvantaged. So how do you handle those things? Well, we kind of have to get some basics, meeting notes, distribution, or just some rules of engagement. We don't have side conversations post the call. If you do, then reestablish another call. I think all of that keeps us connected. It keeps people feeling like they belong. And those things, are, again, that's just etiquette, if you will, and a way we behave that will drive culture and keep what we want. It's good. But it has to change, I think. I agree with you. And I think particularly as we think of all the different things we're looking at now, we're looking at the social constructs, we're talking about sustainability, diversity, inclusion, all these big goals that organizations are looking at. I think that was going to change culture. So pulling all that together is really interesting. Now, I know that you're having a tremendous amount of conversations with companies about their digital transformation efforts. And I know one of the principles that you were talking about was the simplify for speed and scale. And I was wondering if you could tell the audience a little bit more about that. Have you done it? Are you advising others on this? Look, I just happen to subscribe to, it's not my philosophy. Somebody created it. I like to steal good ideas, but strategy drives structure, drives skills. Companies are really great at defining a strategy. They're really great at hiring talent. A lot of times they just skip the structure. That's that scale and that speed that we were struggling with was we just never changed our structure to deliver a strategy. And we then didn't hire the people into that structure that one could operate in a structure like that. You just had this natural tension. It was unnecessary. It was friction. So when I think about speed and scale, it started with the structure. Structure is not just how you report to. It's policies. It's your governance model. It's the empowerment or lack of that you have built into the company. And I think that's where we had to rethink things. We got into key roles. There are key roles in a company. Some people think of them as layers. Well, your vice presidents, your senior vice presidents are like, yeah, okay, titles are important. That somebody has good responsibility. But I don't know that that's a key role all the time. Sometimes the very key roles are, are down in the organization somewhere because they're so influential. So I looked at all of that structure and I thought to myself when I was talking to clients, because they were asking how we handled it, we never missed our services. We delivered all of our services through the pandemic, never let a client down, no hospital shut down because of Unisys. We were very, very proud of that. 
And one of the things that got us there was simplifying the structure, empowering the people. I call it permafrost. Every company builds permafrost in their company, right? This layer in the middle that nods heads and says, yes, we want to do this. We'll follow the strategy. <laughs> and they do nothing. We used to be nine layers deep as a company. When I arrived in 15, you know, we're down to seven, going to six. And so we're just taking out the permafrost. Let the talent rise. And I think that's part of that speed and scale too, is getting out of spans and layers and getting into teams, allowing people to form teams, accomplish things, and then disband and move on to the next thing. Because talent is, a lot of our talent can do multiple things. It's also great for their careers. It's a huge benefit because people are picking up great experiences. They're working on neat projects and they're not just in a job in a career path. All of that to me is that scale conversation because we got to grow our business with the talent we have because it's a talent war out there and it's hard to get everybody. I think this concept of flexibility and agility in the talent is so important. And one of the things I always am amazed by is that organizations just assume that they're going to be able to go out and hire the talent they need. And I think they're frequently missing the opportunity to grow the talent that they have, you know, reskilling, upskilling. They already know you. They already know your culture. They're already invested in you. And if you invest in them, it actually is a really nice virtuous cycle. Now, you've actually spoken quite a bit on this, but I'm, I'm going to see if there's any other nuggets that we've missed. Obviously, we're moving to digital hybrid work world. We're in it now. There's some conversation around what that might look like going forward. But when you're talking to customers, what do you think they need to do differently to succeed? I read once that used to people who would be successful, right? Or the ones that were educated. That's how people believed, let's say, decades ago. Now the people who are going to be successful are the ones that can learn, unlearn, and relearn. You know, that's the big belief. I happen to subscribe to that. What I advise clients on is be willing to unlearn. Just be willing to admit that just because it worked for the last 10 years, it doesn't mean it's going to work in a post-pandemic environment. Just because that policy was good in, a, in the office world, it won't work. Not everybody's in the office world. So just be willing to unlearn. That's the first thing. Because then it frees your mind up to look around, be curious, to watch what others are doing. The other thing I tell them is even when you do all that, you have to decide what you want to be. This is the one thing I've stressed to our SLT and to this company. I'm interested in what Google's deciding to do or JP Morgan's announcing, all these big companies. End of the day, interesting. But what I want Unisys to be, how do I want us to have an experience and what do we want to behave so that we can attract the talent? And by the way, what is that talent looking for? It's not that hard. We know what people want. They want understanding. They want understanding of their situation. They want to know that their situation, right, be that home life or whatever, is not going to get pushed down the list of the corporate objectives. The balance, they want a compassionate organization. Things are going to go blip again, <laughs> right? We may have another shutdown. When it does, okay, are you going to fire me? Are you going to throw me out into the unemployment world? Because I just saw that happen to me in the last pandemic, and I'm looking for a more compassionate world. They all want a more compassionate world. We all do, but they want a compassionate culture. You know, I'll give you a good reference point. I have all the things in my six years at Unisys I'm so proud of, the pandemic brought the thing that I'm most proud of to light. And that is that we have a very compassionate culture that when it happened, the SLT took a pay cut. That was just the right thing to do. But I didn't mandate a pay cut to the company. I didn't go through and say, everybody's taking a 10% haircut. I didn't do that. What I said was, if you're able to help, if you want to help the company get through this time and keep more of our associates employed, please reach out to your HR business partner and 
but no more than please 10%, please, because you still have to manage your life. We had over $7 million volunteered up. Wow. And, and it took away my breath. I was like, I was told, oh, no one's going to give. You might get a little bit. That said it all. And that's when I knew this company could resolve. It would be resilient. It's going to get through anything. And I think that's the thing I try to express to clients is what's your end game? Well, you want this resilient company. You want this company that will come together in the most dire times. So whatever you're designing, think about that as your outcome. And you'll think differently about policies. You'll think differently about the flexibility you afford your diverse population, your females, because those are the people that got hit hard, right? They got hit hard during this pandemic. So I guess that's my advice is think about that end in mind, what you want this to become at the end, what gives you a sustainable business model and performance is really that resilient, compassionate culture that comes together, doesn't fall apart. I love that. To close, I know there's many things that people could be doing with their time, but is there any book or course or interesting nugget that you'd recommend individuals should be looking at right now? I am just beginning to read on this. I mean, I'm talking about the books. The reason being is it's so new to us <laughs> to some degree that you were just kind of waiting to see what the studies look like because you've got so many studies. But there is one that I thought was really good. It's by Robert Glazer. It's How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace. And it's not that I subscribe to everything because I'm just I'm kind of about halfway through it. But I just think it's the right thing to be talking about. Like, not only to how do you personally thrive, but how do we as you know, leadership teams help people thrive? You know, are we aware of the things that they're going to run into that not everybody, by the way, is great at Zoom calls? The, again, the etiquette, the courtesy, they don't even know how to influence through Zoom or Teams or whatever. And there's an art to that. When we're in a room together, you and I would probably have a very different feel talking to each other and be more right. comfortable. You can see body language. And that's really an art. And it requires tempo and slowing down and elongated gestures because people are missing that. So I thought this was a good one, right? Just kind of how to be more successful in a remote environment, how to not be overlooked. Big concern a lot of people have is if I choose to be remote, am I overlooked for promotions? Well, I get the same consideration of the person in the office. That's a huge concern. People are really worried about that. Fatigue and burnout. So I think all of that is a good book. I think it's a good one to read. It's a balance. It's a discipline to survive remotely. Fabulous. Any closing words for the audience? Let's keep talking about this. <laughs> I think the more we keep talking, there's so much to learn from each other. And there's things that we, we ought to also start sharing the lessons learned, what failed, what didn't work, so that you know, the others don't make the same one. Keep the people at the center of this, individual people at the center of this. There is no one size fits all. And don't copy another company. It's your culture. It's your organization. And be protective of it and think about it as yours. And define what you want to be. Define who you want to be known as from a culture and an operating model, if you will. And I think that'll go a long way. I love it. I think the concept of defining what you want to be for an individual, for a corporation, it's a fabulous goal. And I hope that we all do it. Eric, thank you so much for your time and attention. I look forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks, Maribel. I look forward to talking to you in the future and giving you an update. And I'll keep listening to the podcast because you've got some great people on there talking about a lot of great ideas. Thank you. 